0: Good morning, everyone. My name is Don. It's good to be here with you. Is that a relative back there? I kind of, I'd like DeAndre just to kind of come up here and just do riffs all day. I could just sit there and listen and sing along. Isn't that great? Here's what. Here's what would be fun: him and Greg trying to stump one another because Greg just keeps on with him on all that, and it's like, wow. Songs I haven't heard for years shows you how old Greg is, but not DeAndre. <laughs> we're uh, looking at the letters of Paul, love letters to some of the churches that he was involved in as pastor and planter. Today we're looking at the book of Ephesians, which is a pretty special book. Ephesians is mentioned like f- five times throughout the New Testament. The book of Acts is when it all gets started. Um, in the book of First and Second Timothy, it's written to um, Timothy, who was a pastor in Ephesus. Of course, there's the Ephesian book. And then Jesus speaks to the Ephesian church in Revelation, the second chapter, when he's listing out the seven churches of Asia Minor. So it, it's one of those churches that's very prominent in the New Testament. And some scholars say they think that that was probably Paul's favorite church that he uh that he pastored and and there's a lot of love that, that is there but um it's interesting to me as you look at their history because they had a great start i mean that church unbelievable ministry starts out with a small group of people in the book of acts paul is speaking and he goes into the synagogues and he and he preaches and teaches in there and he talks about all the the promises and all the prophecies in the old testament basically being fulfilled in Jesus. And it's like the lights come on in these Jewish people's eyes, and they recognize that, yes, indeed, Jesus is Messiah. And they start flocking to him and to the the community of this church that they're starting to to build and to grow, so much so that Paul finally gets asked to leave the synagogue, that he's, uh, he's starting to pull too many away. And so he starts to speak and teach in a place called the Hall of Tyrannus, where he's there for two years talking about Jesus to the, to the Gentile public. And they, same response. They just start coming by the boatloads into, uh, into that church. So much so that it started to have a huge impact on the community. And in that community, they worshiped false gods. They had this goddess Diana or Artemis, who is a fertility goddess. Um, they made little statues of her, and they sold statues, not only of her, but of other idols. And before long, there were so many people becoming Christians, coming to Christ, that their business started to suffer. People started to burn the idols, no longer buy the idols, and, and the, the merchants got upset with Paul. And before long, there was a riot in the town because of his ministry. And you talk about, you talk about a huge ministry, and then he left out not long after that and Timothy came along and then Timothy was there for a long time and then the Apostle John had some connection with the Ephesian church. The Bible when it describes the Ephesian church uses words like this, great deeds, hard work, hard workers, perseverance, not tolerating sin, great zeal, strong doctrine. Enduring hardships, not growing weary no matter what kind of persecution might come. And you could add on to it a huge community impact, so much so that the, the economy of Ephesus was, was impacted and changed. I mean, just think what if they said that about Mountain Park. I mean, you guys are a great church, but to have that list and that kind of impact Ahwatukee's economy is shaken because of the Christians at Mountain Park. Just Just think about that kind of impact. That's the church in Ephesus. They had a great start and a not so great ending. They didn't finish well. So when you go to the book of Revelation, Jesus speaks to this church with some pretty harsh words. And in that second chapter... Over in verse four, he lists some of the things I just mentioned about the Ephesian church. There's a great list that he's complimenting them on. But he says this, yet I hold this against you. Now when Jesus says that, you have to kind of listen. I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. And if you do not repent, I'll come and remove the lampstand from its place. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Some of the old versions say, you have forsaken your first love, which that's often interpreted, you've lost your passion, you've lost your love for Christ, you lost, you've lost this adoration you had for Jesus. And indeed, that's, encapsulated in that, in that rebuke that Jesus is giving them. But it's, it's more than that. It's also extending on, on, the, on their acts, on what they do. When you've lost your first love, you, you lost the love, you, had, you lost the agape you had at first. The agape love that you experienced from Jesus, you lost it. The agape love, which is unconditional, sacrificial, giving everything for you that made all the difference in the world, and then that you started to live in the midst of your church and the community, not only receiving that agape love, but with unconditional favor and joy and sacrifice, you, you touched the people in that community in a way that, that only Jesus' love can do so. And here you're doing church so good. Check mark on so many things good works, good deeds, hard workers, great programs, wonderful ministries, stick to itiveness, keeping at it, holding up the doctrine, adorning the doctrine, keeping sinful people out of the, the leadership of the place and the influence. You're, you're doing everything a church should do. but you're losing agape love. Jesus is saying, I don't just need a church to be a church. I don't need another organization that just does church better than the church up the street or down the road. I need a church that is so filled up with agape love that they've experienced, that it just runs out everywhere and every relationship and every ministry reflects unconditional sacrificial love. So when you go back over to the book of Ephesians, you look at the first three chapters of Ephesians in that letter, and it's all about what you received through, from Jesus. You, Paul says, you, you were adopted into the family. This agape love that Jesus came, he adopts you, and you're not just a house guest, you're family. All the rights and privileges, all the beauty of being in that, it's yours. All the heavenly blessings, yours. Your family. And you were chosen. You were hand-picked. Before the beginning of time, God says, I wanted to put together this community. I wanted to put together this church. And I want you in it. And you are forgiven of all your sins. It's all wiped away and grace will be lavished on you. I love that, lavished grace. Kind of grace we talked about last week, it just flows all over you. That's who you are. You're my my people, you're my family, you're my church. And then the last three chapters, four through six, are what now? How do you take that love and live that love? Not only to receive the love of Jesus, but to live the love of Jesus, to live Jesus type love to the community. And he starts to go through chapter four and five. How do you do, how do you love your neighbors with agape love? How do you take it home and love your, your family, your, your spouse, your children? How do you take it to work and love your boss or your employer? How, how's that, all that relationship? He takes it everywhere that just says, if you're my people, Don't just talk about the gospel. Don't just sing about the gospel. Live the gospel. Live the good news. Live the love of Jesus. And let the flavor of that love be agape. So it brings us in the journal to verses 21 through 33, which deal with the home. How do you take agape love And make a difference at home. And so, in verse 21, if you have your Bibles, you can follow along. Some of these verses are going to be on scripture or on the screen, and some of them I'm I'm coming up with some stuff that nobody knows about yet. So, (laughs) Deandre got me going. I'm thinking of all these things that. (laughs) Verse 21, how do you live agape at home? Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your husband as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. To make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with the water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or blemish, but holy and blameless. Hang on just a minute. How many of you have I just completely lost? You were like, yeah, that submit thing, I was gone there. Done. It was submit, blah, 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 blah. Let me know when it's over, when's lunch, blah, blah, blah. It's not easy going through this that's a scripture because this, this is, I don't know if you've heard this, this is kind of a controversial scripture. That's why none of the other staff pastors want to be here right now up here. <laughs> so call, that, call that guest guy come in here and let him, let, <laughs> so often these words are used, and, and you, you have stories of, you know, wonderful, amazing women that were just squashed by a husband using these words. Or, or couples that just, man, they, you know, they just, or you just want to completely throw the whole thing out. Some of you are wounded by these words. Some of these words have been used by men for generations. Christian men by generations. To almost abuse women in one sense. Keep them down. And to, so I, I know where you're coming from. I'd hear you. Just listen, listen to the rest of these words, and then we'll come back to them. He continues. Verse 28, the same way husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies, he who loves his wife, <clears throat> excuse me, loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it, just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery. This is, listen to this. This is a profound mystery. But I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Paul says, I'm... I'm talking about Christ in the church. Yo-ho, I'm talking about Christ in the church. Agape love Christ to his church. I'm talking about that relationship. But that relationship speaks to us in our homes, husbands and wives. It's a mystery, not like I can never understand it. It's a mystery like, oh, that's what he's talking about. Oh, There's something for us. You don't have it on the screen, but verse one and two of chapter five, uh, Paul says this, be imitators of God. Therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. Live a life of agape just as Christ agaped us. Be imitators of God. He sent agape love through Jesus, so we are to live a life of agape. He, agape loved us. He gave himself up for us. It's a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. God the Father goes, I love that. I love agape love. That's my heart. That's my son. That's my church. Ah, that's what, that's the way I created it to be when that happens. Ah that love is more than a feeling. That love, when, when, when Jesus says in Revelation 2, you've lost that love, it's more than you've lost that loving feeling. He doesn't say, start feeling again and then you know, do what you feel and if it feels right, do again what you used to do when you were doing it right, when you were, when you were going through these words and you were living it. Love is not just a feeling, I like this definition. Love is a commitment to act for the well-being of another person. Love is the commitment to act for the well-being of another person. God so loved the world that he committed himself to act for the well-being of that world and he sent Jesus his son. Jesus so loved us that he committed himself to act for the well-being of each and every one of us, going to the cross, that we might be adopted into the family, that we might be chosen into the family and experience all his heavenly blessings, that we might be completely forgiven, that his grace might lavishly fall on us. Paul says, I ask you as his church who's received this, to commit yourselves, to act for the well-being of others. In doing so, agape, love, lives in your midst. So in verse 21, when we go back to there, he says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. He doesn't use the word love, he uses the word submit, which is kind of interesting. Now, how many of you, when you hear that word, just have all positive, good feelings about it? Doesn't it just make you just want to go, oh, tell me more? Tell me more? Tell me more. How do you? No, submit has this negative connotation in our language and in our culture. Submit, submission, we think of being passive, we think of being weak, somebody dominating us, over, overpowering us robbing us of our dignity, robbing us of our freedom. It's got got negative connotations to us. But Paul is saying, hang on just a minute, I'm gonna put it in the context of love, that if you took love as a coin, on one side of of that coin is commitment to the well-being, for the well-being of others. It's being committed, you want the well-being, you want others to do well, to be well. Flip that coin over, and it's submission. How do, you, how do you act out on your desire and your commitment that others have do well? Flip that coin over, it. it's submission. Submission in the Greek means to put under. I put under my desires. I put under my preferences. I put under my, um, my initiatives. I put under, under everything I want that I might elevate someone else, that I might lift someone else up. Jesus said, if you want to be great in this world, you, you, you become servant. You go to the end of the line. If you, if you want to recognize this, that the first become last, the last become first. Jesus would say, I, I did not come to be served. I came to serve. I, I put myself under to elevate others. I, I paid the price of sin. I paid the price, Jesus would say, of your sin because he was sinless. I paid that price so that you might receive my righteousness, and out of the judgment of God, he looks at you and sees righteousness. Because I'm elevating you to the place. Committed to you, covenanted to you for your well-being both now and forever. I I lift you. It's it's the same coin. You just flip it. The the idea is mutual submission. It's It's not just submitting one another. When you look at this verse of scripture, it's the umbrella, submit to one another. Who is he talking to? All of us, that means you and me. Submit to one another, all of us submit to one another. In fact, then how how do we do that? Husbands, all the only verse that most husbands ever memorize in the Bible is this. Wives, submit to your husbands. Don't know where that's at, but most of you got that in your repertoire somewhere. It says that somewhere. I heard the preacher say that. <laughs> you know what it says in Greek? Literally, you could, if you I'm not telling you to do it, but you could you could scratch out submit right there. Wives to your husbands as to the Lord. So here's what it makes submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, to your husbands as to the Lord. What are you saying? Y'all submit, y'all submit, we all submit. That's part of being part of his family. Y'all submit, not because that person deserves it, not because that person's so good, not because you're so spiritual, but out of reverence to Jesus, because that's what Jesus did. Out of reverence to Jesus, Y'all submit. Now, wives, how does that affect you in your marriage? Wives, as to your husbands, as you do to the Lord. As you submit to the Lord, submit to your husbands. Husbands, verse 25, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, submitted himself up for her, if you will. Submit to your husband. Does that mean wives don't have to love your husband? No, it's just the same, same coin. Flip it over. Submit and love your husband. Husbands love your wives. That mean you don't have to submit to your wives. No, it's the same coin. You just flip it over. You submit. Now, in the Roman culture, they they had a, a very patriarchal, hierarchical culture. So when you go to the Roman culture, the the, the culture that these first readers were hearing, you had at the top of the food chain, if you will, the emperor, Caesar. He was the top dog. Life and death was at his hands. In fact, they even thought that he had some kind of divinity. The word, the term son of God was attributed to him by himself or by his family, but son of God was Caesar. Underneath Caesar was the, the elite. They were the wealthy, they were their political powers. There was about 4% of the, of the population were the, were the elite. They were usually, they usually had a, a male patriarchal figure in that, but, but that family, that whole family had power and had prestige. Underneath them was the rest of the populace, 96% of the populace, which was divided into households. And each household had a, had a husband, had a, had a male figure in there, and that male figure was, was king of the house, and life and death was at his hands in many respects. In fact, a husband would acquire a wife in those days. So the wife was underneath the husband because he would acquire her. He would pay money for her often. Find a father who has a daughter that you're interested in purchased this daughter. Do you know how old the average male was when they got married at this point, when they acquired a, husband, a wife? About 30, sometimes early 30s. you know how old the typical wife was when she got married? 15, 14, 15. Now that's illegal in our culture and, and kind of creepy. To tell you the truth, but that was their culture. All the wife was good for: have children, bear children, manage the household. And if you messed up or if you couldn't have children, find someone else. There was very low in that hierarchical scheme. Below them were children. Below her was children, slaves. That was the hierarchy. All of a sudden, here comes this group of people infiltrating the city following after the teachings of Paul, who's pointing to Jesus and he's going around and he's calling them out to a God who created the universe and who is all about restoring and redeeming the brokenness of creation. And this God starts to put together a family, a new community, a church, they call themselves followers of the way. There was a derogatory term to them at those days, Christians. They were Christians. They're were, they were, they were many Christs. They were trying to follow after this Christ. And this, this new family and this, this new community, this church, had allegiance to this Christ who was the real Son of God. Caesar. Caesar has his limits, but Jesus is the real son of God and Jesus comes and Jesus lays it all down. Jesus goes to the cross, is crucified, dies on the cross, taking their sin upon himself, adopting them into the family, choosing them to come into this heavenly blessing, granting them with favor, blessing, lavish grace. And all this hierarchy melts and collapses. And now this one community, this one family, this one church finds that there is no great big significant divide between Jew and Gentile. Between slave and free. Between male and female but that in Christ, there's no hierarchy that we're all one at the foot of Jesus. Because when Jesus dies, he gives value to those he died for. He he sheds his worth onto them so that no one stands above anyone else because none of us belong at at the cross. Ephesians says, All this grace came so that no one can boast. No one can claim they're more spiritual than anyone else. No one can claim they're better than someone else or they've done more good things. None of us deserve to be there. And we're all equal just raising our hands up and receiving what Jesus lavishes on us. And we find out we're together. We're a new community We're a new family. What will be the mark of such a family? What will be the mark of such a new community or a church? Agape love. Love like Jesus. That love like Jesus will not only take take that community to new heights that love like jesus will impact the whole city of ephesus and it will burst into all of asia minor that agape love will change the world sacrificial love received by jesus and sacrificial love given by jesus followers will change the world jesus says ephesus when you lost that when you lost that you lost everything This, this love is, is known by, by the opportunity to be submissive, put under ourselves to lift others up. So wives, agape love your husbands. Husbands, agape love your wives. Well, what is it? Christ is the head of the church, and so... Husbands are the head of the wife, like Christ is the head of the church. So what does that mean then? Because that's what everybody uses. Men will use it all the time and say, well, that's right there. It Says right there, I'm the head. I make the decisions around here. It's my dreams. It's my career. It's my hopes. I'll handle the finances. You sweep the carpet. It says right there, I'm the head. Jesus is the head of the church, I'm the head of you. Do you see Paul saying any of that? How does Paul define headship? Only one way. Here's the church, Christ is the head of the church. That's headship. Well, how does Christ exert his headship. He puts himself under the church to the point of not only being willing to die, but going to the cross to die, to lift the church up so that you and I might be well beings. We might be whole, redeemed, restored, we might be people that he lifts up to God. Hey, Father, these are my people. Jesus says, I will do anything. I don't want to be served by these, the church. I, I want to serve them. And if you want to be great, you'll do the same thing. He comes under. Husbands, you're to be head of the wife. Well, how do you exert that? like Christ, who gave himself for her, who who did everything he could to make her a radiant bride, like the church, out blemish, without wrinkle, without stain, thriving in the same way. May your wife, husbands, may your wife be radiant. May she thrive. May she be better off because of you lifting her up. Well, wives, what do you then do? Well, you reciprocate that. You submit. I want my husband to thrive. I want him, I I want to be committed to his well-being. I'm going to do whatever I can to lift him up. Oh, no, 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 wait, 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 honey. I want you to thrive. I want to lift you up. Oh, no, 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 here, let me, let me lift you. No, no. Somebody calls it, it's the, it's the dance of submission. If, you, if, you're, if your marriage can dance like that, you will find yourself dancing to a very successful marriage. Our culture can't comprehend this. Our culture can't get a mind around this. Our culture loves weddings, loves getting married. It's a, it's a multi-million dollar business to get married. And believing that's not because of honorariums that come to the pastors. (laughs) Everybody wants to, but to stay married, how do you stay married? Where do you look? Jesus gives us agape love that our culture can't comprehend, and we in the church can't comprehend because we are more influenced by our culture that wants to divide people and put people at odds and competition, and our selfishness and our arrogance and our pride gets all in that. Jesus says, when that starts to happen, would you just start doing this dance again? Because here's what's happened. When you submit to one another, who loses? Who gets squashed? No one. No one does. Always elevating one another up more and more and more. And so he says you know if if a if a man leaves his mother and father then two will become one flesh that oneness is is better than the two individuals that oneness that 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 christ makes in our life means the oneness that we have as we as we unite together becomes a distinguished and distinctive relationship better than we are individually better than we are fighting with one another that oneness Jesus has something for you in the same way he created you individually. As a married couple, he'll create this oneness that becomes something different than your two separate parts, two separate people. It's, it's a oneness that comes together. It's about Christ and the church, but it's about our marriages as well. How do, we, how do we just live this out practically? As I'm out of time. Let me just tell you real quick how to live it out practically. Um, first of all, you need to know this. I'm not an expert on this. My wife wouldn't even come to church today because she knew I was talking about this and <laughs> she just she, she just stayed away. <clears throat> so I, you know, I could tell you I'm an expert, but she would tell you different. I'm, I'm not. The longer we're married, sometimes I think the worse I get and my selfishness just keeps clicking out. Work in progress all the time. But whenever we're starting to go like this, I find if we'll stop a little bit because we're both followers of Jesus and I start to lift her up and she starts to try to lift me up, it's not just... As easy as it sounds, but it, it makes a difference because I know we have conflict because of our selfishness. But we have oneness with agape. Practically, here's what here's what made a huge difference in us. And later in our, our marriage life, and influenced by Mountain Park, where we were introduced to reengage. That reengage ministry. Huge difference maker in our life Huge difference Where you spend the first several weeks Just talking about the agape love Of Jesus And how how I receive Jesus' love Can I give Jesus' love How I receive forgiveness Can I forgive my mate How I receive grace Can I treat her with grace How I receive and enjoy the the serving And the humility of Jesus Can, Can she do that and I do that Back and forth Unbelievable if you've not done, here's what I think. Every married couple in Mountain Park should go through re-engage. Everyone. Monday nights, what is it, 6.30? You can come here. If you're premarital, you can, you can, there's stuff for you. If it's already started, you can jump in, and they have open groups that will hold and deal with you until it's ready to do the re-engage, and they have reinforced, which goes after that, don't wait till your <clears throat> till your marriage is in a ditch. If it's a good marriage, keep working on it because agape doesn't come easy. Even the Ephesians lost agape. Keep working on it. Keep working on it. If you're, if, you're, if you're at a loggerhead in your in your marriage, there's nothing better. You can get a lot of different helps and a lot of different books and a lot of different counseling. Let me just point you to the agape love of Jesus. And you have the greatest resource here at church. Jump in on that. Today you might be here and you just need prayer. Maybe as a couple, maybe you wanna just lift up your, your spouse. We have a prayer team that's gonna be out here as the worship team comes to sing one last song. Feel free to come pray, I'd be glad to pray with you as well. There's nothing, there's nothing that can be affected any more by agape love than, than your marriage. And if you're single and you're going, why did I come to church today? It's all about marriage. Let me just tell you this. It's not all about marriage. It's about every relationship that we have. It might be your roommate. It might be a person at work. It might be a friend. But we start to, we start to live the gospel out with agape love. And nothing says Jesus loves you, died for you, gave his heart for you, Like us who call his name out, living that life of a servant and of Christlikeness in agape. So do the submission dance. Heavenly Father, we recognize that today you you teach us hard truths. But more than that, you show us through your love to us. So make us conduits to flow through us.